And so it was a few years ago that I read a book called The Advantage. If we, uh, is that slides um, working and up there? I'll show you the cover. There it is. It was a few years back that I, that I read this book. And it's about how organisations can get healthy. And uh, there's a guy by a guy called Patrick Lencioni. And uh, it applies not just to kind of secular organisations, but to churches as well. And one of the key things that churches and organisations need in order to be healthy is clarity. Clarity on what you're doing. And he has a series of questions that he gets people to ask. And one of them is this one. What is the most important thing that we should be doing right now? You need to know what you're on about. You need to know what are the priorities. Because there are so many things that can compete for our, our time that would take us away from the priorities. And what he found when he looked at most organisations was that they had far too many priorities. And so when a CEO comes and says that this, this company is going to, all in one year, grow revenue, improve customer service, introduce more innovative products, cut expenses, and improve their market share, you're almost guaranteeing that none of those things are going to achieve, uh, are going to be achieved. None of them are going to kind of have the attention that they need in order to become the priority and therefore to make any of them really work. So the author, Patrick Lentziani, went about kind of looking around the place to find which companies are actually doing this well. What are the, the healthy organisations that are focusing on the things that they need to focus on? And he came up short for a long time. No one was doing this well, until by accident he kind of stumbled across it. The group of organisations that are doing this well are emergency responders, firefighters, paramedics, accident and emergency departments in hospitals. The reason is that there is a crisis and people are working together because time is short to make a difference. You would hope that two firefighting engines, when they turn up to a fire, aren't arguing over who got there first or which jurisdiction this is or which kind of department should be the first ones to go up the ladder to save someone. It's like, let's just get on with this. Or in hospital, if someone is bleeding out, you're not, oh, who's going to be paying for this extra bandage or whose department can we, can we kind of build that to? It's no, no, there is a priority in front of us. And so they got a, a sense of clarity around what should be done. This morning, I want to help recalibrate uh, you personally, perhaps, uh, as a church. I'm constantly trying to calibrate myself and the City Bible Forum to this as well. And I see that the most important thing right now, in this period that we live in between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return, is making Jesus known. But if we're going to be speaking about Jesus and making him known, then we need to get what we're speaking about right first. There's no point speaking the wrong thing. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to have a look at, from the passage that was just read, the message, what, what should we be proclaiming, what hopefully will be kind of proclaimed at, at your carol service on that Sunday before Christmas. Uh, what is the motivation for doing this? Why, why should we do it? What are the methods? How does this happen? And then we're going to have a look at Matthew 28 to finish to give us some encouragement to keep going in this task. So what are we going to say? What's the message? Well, the answer is, quite simply, these words. Be 
reconciled to God. It's there in verse 20 in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, if you know the context of this second letter to the Corinthians, you know that part of that is reconciling the Corinthians to God. They have been rejecting the Apostle Paul, and Paul is trying to woo them back to his apostolic ministry. But it, it does work more broadly than that as well, because all through this passage, there is this taking this message to others as well. And so this is the, the message that we take is, is be reconciled to God. Do you notice what it doesn't say that the message is? It's not try harder. It's not do a little bit more to be good enough for God. It's not do a little bit more to be good enough for Jesus. It is be reconciled. This is the language of relationships that need to be restored. Something has gone wrong in a relationship and there needs to be a reconciliation, a, a coming back together. It's the language of, of friendship and relationship. If you've ever had a relationship go bad, just think about it for a while, have you ever had a relationship with, say, a parent or a child be strained or in the work context with your employer or a colleague? Whatever the situation is, if you know that when relationships go bad, it's actually it's not good, is it? And it's actually really hard to be reconciled. It's always difficult, it's always painful to put things right. But here we have a God who is opening his heart wide open and imploring that people are reconciled to, to himself. See, God wants to remove every obstacle there is between him and people so that a friendship can be reformed. This implies that there has been a friendship that has been broken. And so we know that all of humanity, in and of themselves, are in a broken relationship with God and they need to be brought back into a relationship with him. They need to be reconciled. Well, how does, how does this happen? How does a reconciliation with God happen? Well, to do that, we need to move kind of backwards and forwards from that key verse in chapter 5, verse 20. We go backwards into verse 19, where it says, In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself by not counting people's trespasses, their, their sins, the things that they have done wrong against them. Does that mean that the things that they have done wrong against God don't matter anymore? That he's just washing them kind of away without any kind of thought to it? Well, no. Have a look at the other side of verse 20, verse 21. This is how it happens. For our sake, he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. One way of thinking about this is from a great Old Testament passage in Isaiah that speaks about the way God reconciles people. It says, 
It was the will of the Lord God to crush him, speaking about this servant who would suffer for other people's sake. He will make many to be accounted righteous. And how does that happen? Because this suffering servant will bear their iniquities. Jesus comes and suffers and bears our iniquities, the things that we have done wrong, our sin. Now just imagine that there is a YouTube video that's on YouTube about your life, your, your whole life. It's been recorded. Everything you've ever done is on this YouTube video. Everything you've ever thought has somehow been captured and put onto this YouTube video and you're told that it exists and so you, you go and you have a look at it with great kind of fear and trembling, like who else has seen this video? And what is it going to expose of my life? You know how kind of some gov governments are recording information about people and you know, taking videos of them wherever they go? Well, don't worry about that too much. God has got everything on you. He knows everything that you have done. And so you turn up and I, I look at you know, youtube.com slash david.pit and see what is there. And I am petrified. But when I turn there and I look, I actually see the life of Jesus being played. You see, for those who have put their, their trust in Jesus, their sin is not counted against them anymore. And in fact, on Jesus' account, you see all the things that I have done and all the things that, that you have done, they've all been kind of merged into Jesus' account on YouTube. And you can see all of the sin has been placed onto him. And when you look at my record, I have the perfect life of Christ. Now that is good news, isn't it? You see how this message that we have to take to make Jesus known is not just try harder, it's not be good enough for God, it's your sin has been dealt with. And all that guilt and all that shame has been washed away and you can be completely forgiven. That's our message. Be reconciled to God. How? Through Jesus' death that takes the penalty that, that we deserve. That death, that, that separation from God. And it really is good news no longer burdened by the guilt of the things that we've done wrong because Jesus has paid it all. We don't need to pay God back because Jesus has paid it all. We don't need to be anxious about what God thinks about us because he's told us that we have been reconciled to himself. And you are, as it says in verse 17 in our passage, brand new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. That's, that's the message that we have. That's the business that God is in, bringing about a new creation, making us new. And if you haven't kind of dwelt on that for a while in your own relationship with God, then breathe that in again. Just enjoy that newness of life that God offers and that complete reconciliation with him. If you're here today and you're not quite sure where you stand in all these things, this, this is the message. This is what Christians believe. This is what it's all about. Being reconciled to God through the death of Jesus and being made new. Well, why do we 
speak this message to people? What's our motivation? It does seem to be unpopular. People don't want to know about it. It's trying to kind of convert people is old-fashioned and a little bit kind of just not appropriate anymore. Why, why would we bother with this? Well, there's two reasons that this passage gives us. And the first motivation is that there is a judgment to come. It was right there at the start of our reading in verse 10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for, uh, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. People will give an account of their, their life. Those who have put their trust in Christ have already been reconciled to him and so have nothing to fear on that day. But all people will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account. It's a little bit like our, our world as a, uh, a collapsing building. You know how when they try to collapse a building using explosions, they, they rig it up and they put the charges on the structural points so that it blows the, the things that are holding it up away, but then it kind of stands there for a moment while the disorientation of the building is, is all, you know, all the structures have been taken away and then it collapses. It's kind of, I've got a little bit of a gif, hopefully it, it, it works here, but kind of, there you go, you got the idea? So, yeah, goes off, stands there, and then it all comes down. Well, our world is like that. Let me move that away so you don't get too, uh, don't get captivated by that exploding building. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the explosion. It's put the world on notice that, that there is a judgment day to come. And I can say that because of places like Acts chapter 17 that I've got on the screen here. Uh, God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. Why should people repent? Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world. And he's given proof of this um, because... Well, let me read it out. <laughs> it's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance of all by raising him from the dead. You see, this judgment day is coming because in Jesus' death and resurrection, the world has been put on notice that there is a new king. There is a new person who is in charge and the judge of all the earth will come to judge. Which all sounds uh, quite serious, and it is. And it is a great motivator, knowing that that day is coming. But there is more in this passage as well than just the judgment day. And that is, Jesus' love motivates us. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. That word control is, is like being compelled, being, being urged, being kind of pushed along. And the best way to explain what that looks like is with this picture. Sheep going up a ramp into a, a truck. They, they can't go left. They can't go right. They can't go backwards. They're just being kind of compelled along up the ramp and into the truck. That's what Paul is saying here. He's constrained by the love of Christ. It's simply saying, I have, I have no alternative. 
And this is not so much our love for Christ, but Christ's love for us. You see, he's not compelled to tell others about Jesus because of uh, any rules or regulations that he must. He is telling people about Jesus because he's compelled, he's pushed along by uh, Christ's great love for him. Does Christ's love compel and constrain you? It's a question worth asking ourselves. Have we known the love of Christ who would lay down his life and sacrifice in our place? And then have that kind of been compelled by that great love to go and pass that message on to others? There are two powerful motivators to speak about Jesus. The coming judgment, but also the wonderful love of Christ that would save someone like us and then make his message known because of that. Well, let's talk more about actually how do you do that? What's the, the method of making Jesus known? People all around us desperately need to know about Jesus. How will that happen? Well, will, it will happen as people like us speak about Jesus. Have a look at verse 18. I've got some of it on, your, on the screen there. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And here it is. He gave us, first and foremost, the apostles, but, but through them to us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This idea of being an ambassador, speaking for Christ, is it's the language of nations, of having a trusted representative go and represent another country into another country. And God calls us into this as well. He sends out ambassadors to represent him. It says as if God was appealing to people through us. And all through here, there's this language of persuading, of imploring, of appealing to people. There is a persistence and an urgency in this, in this task. This is not just take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter what you think about this stuff. And that doesn't mean that you will be a pain in the neck to other people. If you're inviting someone to Christmas, if they say no, they're not coming, then it doesn't mean you kind of have to drag them into the building in order for that to happen. But there is this, this persistence and urgency and encouragement and seriousness about this task of making Jesus known. I, I met up with a, a guy who, um, he got converted at uh, SLE Church, one of your sister churches over in St. Lucia, near, near my home church. He told me the, the reason he was converted was that a friend invited him to church, not once, not twice, but it sounded like it was all year before he eventually said yes. And then he, he came and he heard the gospel and it took another year before things clicked into place. But that friend just didn't, didn't give up. And he kept inviting him. And the Lord was very gracious to this young man and uh, he came to put his trust in, in Jesus. And so there's this quote by C.S. Lewis that I, that I love that's a real kind of clarifying uh, thing for me. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity, if false is of no importance 
if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. And I think many Christians, and many people who aren't Christians as well, put it in that kind of moderately important. It's kind of there, it's kind of important. But do you, do you love how the, the clarity of, of, of this quote, if it is true, it is of infinite importance. There, there is a judgment day to come. People need their sins forgiven. And so convinced that it's true, we see the urgency and the importance of what we believe and of making Jesus known. Well, perhaps you've understood the message, being reconciled to God. How do you get reconciled to God? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus that takes away our sin. Okay, you've got the message clear. You've got the motivation as well. Uh, the judgment day, but also Christ's great love in saving us. You've got the method. How does that happen? Well, it's through ambassadors. It's through people like us making it known and speaking about Jesus. Let me finish with some encouragement from, some, uh, from Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is uh, at the very end of, of the Gospel of Matthew, as you probably know. And it's where Jesus sends out his... 11 followers at that stage to make him known. And how does, he, how does he do that? I want to just point out three things quickly from the final verses. First thing Jesus says is, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Have you stopped and kind of pause just to think about that? Just all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He's the one that has all authority. Have you thought what, what you would do with all authority over, over things? All authority in heaven and on earth, what would you do with it? Um, you know, only make good coffee to be sold or you know, get rid of taxes or whatever it is. All authority is a lot of authority. And he's got all authority everywhere. He has complete authority over your suburb. Jesus has complete authority over your workplace. Jesus has ultimate authority in our city. He's got ultimate authority over your university, your high school, whatever it is, Jesus has all authority. And what does Jesus choose to do with his ultimate, unlimited authority? Well, what does he do? He commissions people to go and speak about him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. You're being sent by the one who has all authority to go and make disciples of all nations. And he does that through some very ordinary followers of himself. I don't think we often stop to think about that. But just imagine that we've been kind of summoned to Suncorp Stadium and Jesus is in the centre, it's night time and I've turned the lights off but I've just got a spotlight on Jesus and Jesus says, I'm about to unleash my plans for how the whole world is going to hear about me and what I've done. And so we're all in the stadium, Suncorp Stadium, we're like, how is Jesus going to do this? And so he says, okay, I'm going to turn the lights off and then when the lights come back on, I'm going to unveil my, my plan for how the whole world is going to hear about me. I don't know about you, I'd be thinking, you know, is he going to have some kind of um, ear pieces, you know, the, the, the Apple ear pieces put in people's ears and it's just going to tell them the message like that or is it going to be some kind of megaphone system or how is the whole world going to hear about what Jesus has done? And so the spotlight turns back on again and on centre stage are just 11 blokes, fishermen, 
tax collectors, people who you wouldn't necessarily think would be the people who are going to kind of change the world. It's not some crack troop, not SAS soldiers or anything like that. It's just 11 normal Jewish men. And Jesus is going to change the world through them. And it worked, didn't it? I mean, we're here today in Australia. We've heard that message. All nations are hearing about Jesus. And we are caught up in that great task. All authority in heaven and on earth, on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And here's the thing at the end. The one who has all authority, who has sent us to do this, says in the very last words, I am with you to the very end of the age. That has to make a big difference in this task that we're, that we're on about. If you, if you think about it, if you've got a difficult task to do, and you don't really want to do it, and you're a little bit kind of nervous and apprehensive. Let's say you've got a difficult conversation that you need to have with your boss or an employer, or a difficult conversation to have with a teacher at school or with your, your university lecturer, and you don't want to do it. But then someone with a lot more authority than the person that you're going to comes and says, hey, I will, I'll come with you. So you need to have a difficult conversation with a lecturer at university and, all, and the uh, vice-chancellor of the university hears about it and says, hey, Dave, I'd like to come, come with you in that conversation. How do you feel now? You've got the vice-chancellor standing next to you on your side or in your workplace. You've got some difficult thing you need to talk to your boss about and the CEO of the company hears about it and says, hey, Dave, I will come with you. I'm on your side. Now, the, the tables have been turned at this point, haven't they? You have the one with all authority in that company coming with you into that conversation. Can you see in the same way when Jesus commissions us for this great task of making Jesus known, he's saying that he's with you, he's, he is there with you. By his spirit, standing alongside you as you make that invitation that someone might hear about Jesus. And so the tables have been turned. We have Jesus with us. So let's get on with that task of making Jesus known. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for making the way for us to be reconciled to you through the death of your Son. And we ask that we will make this great message known with all of our fears and struggles. We pray that you will urge us on compel us through Christ's love to speak to those around us so they might be saved and reconciled to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dave, for the